Welcome to Behind the Mirror, a place where students in an online program can have the experience of learning all the little things you only get by sitting behind the mirror with a professor. Today I have Deb Dana, who is uh, SMF Coulter, the Pied Piper of polyvagal theory. I'm so excited to have her on today. Um, and I want to dive in so deep with all the stuff you have to offer. Um, and I feel like for you, the best place to start is to give us a little introduction about yourself and then tell us what is polyvagal theory as like um, in, in very broad strokes. Okay. Sounds good. I'm happy to be here with, with you and happy to share my passion for polyvagal. I um, am a clinical social worker and I've been uh, working with polyvagal since I read Steve, Stephen Porges' book in 2011, and it was as if a missing piece of uh, the way I work came into place. And so then I uh, invited Steve to come and present to our group. He and his wife, Sue Carter, came and did a two-day workshop, and we've wow. been... You had both of them come. Both of them. They were wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And we've just been collaborating ever since, which is which is wonderful. And, you know, he says he's he's a scientist, and he developed polyvagal theory, which is an elegant theory of understanding how the autonomic nervous system works. And he was um, delighted to have me take his work and bring it into clinical application for the everyday therapist who's going to sit across from a client and be engaged with that client's nervous system. So that's that's where I, where I come from and where I am now. And um, my book was just um, published recently, and it's lovely because I get emails from people uh, most every day saying that they're using some of the exercises in the book and understanding the theory in new ways. And what I like best is when they say, you know, yes, it's helping me with my clients, but I'm understanding myself um, in new ways. And that really is the gift of really understanding how your nervous system works. So maybe we'll dive into polyvagal at this point. You want to do that? Yeah, yeah. I want to touch base on something you said because I had the sure. exact same experience. Yeah. I caught when I, I don't know how, I think maybe through some pessy mm-hmm. um, CE I was listening and I stumbled onto poly polyvagal theory and mm-hmm. suddenly it was like that light bulb moment where you're like, wait. Yeah. Um, and for me, what was so powerful was I felt like we as psychotherapists have been glancing over the broad strokes of this for a long time, but mm-hmm. the theory really dove into the micro moves mm. of the science of safety. Right, um, right. Right. Yeah. Once you have that sort of micro level, you can. I feel like you can. It's much more mm-hmm. applicable. You're much more able to work with it. Yeah. 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 I think you know, for for many of us, and you know, for our colleagues and your students, um, a lot of polyvagal theory and understanding it is not um, doing something new for them, but it's putting the science underneath what we're already doing, so that we can do it more skillfully and let our clients know here's why we're we're doing something in, in the way we're doing it so yeah the science of science of connection you know i like to call it the science of feeling safe enough to fall in love with life and take the risks of living so <laughs> oh, that's really appropriate that's yeah really yeah that's yeah. really good that's really so good. so you know steve um um, it's, um, writes in, and writes in scientific ways, and I, you know, like to take his work and make it sort of user friendly. So, if we think about polyvagal, we think there are three organizing principles to polyvagal theory. There's hierarchy, neuroception, and co-regulation. And once you get those three principles, you're good to go. So, um, you know, can I ask you a question? Sure. Because I think that what you're talking about is so important. I want to make sure people really understand mm-hmm. why it's so important. Mm-hmm. I think, and it could be so easy, almost like um, there's a movie that I love called The, the, the Prestige. Mm-hmm. And one of the big ideas is that something that's incredible can mm-hmm. be really easily overlooked if you don't mm-hmm. really show why it's such, why, it's, why it is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So before you dive into it, mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about the problem 
and and maybe like fear and not the lack of feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. So so the autonomic nervous system is the foundation for all of our lived experience. So it is the platform that everything we do sits on top of. So understanding that is is a key to understanding sort of the, how we move through the world. And we move through the world in these um, cycles of engagement and mobilization and disconnection. And we do that over and over um, during our day in, in either nuanced ways or in extreme ways. And the nervous system is what sends us um, the message we're either safe or not safe. And um, well-being you know, health growth and restoration is all about feeling an embodied sense of safety. And, you know, our, because we're humans, our nervous system is longing to feel safe with another nervous system. So we are, we are meant to feel safe with another person, not just safe in our body on our own, but that and with another person. We, we, we need human connection. You know, Steve says connection is a biological imperative, which means that we don't survive without it. And we know that, you know, babies come into the world, they have to be met and cared for. And the, you know, the early studies on um, the Romanian orphanages showed just what happened when, you know, basic needs were cared for, but there wasn't human connection and the intense um, impact of that to, to human lives. And then... I'm, I'm so glad mm, that you brought that up. Can you talk a little mm, bit more about that? The, the Romanian... Because or- I think that's a perfect picture for, yeah. for what the problem is. Yeah, because those, those children were cared for in the concrete ways, you know, so they, had, they were fed. They had a bed, they, they had clothes, they were changed, but there was no predictable, ongoing, warm human contact. And so their systems, you know, if we start with the nervous system, their ne- nervous system was not tuned or shaped to, to look for connection because that connection was not there. And when connection is not predictably and safely present, our nervous system learns um, how to live in protection rather than connection, um, you know, and then, you know, we could take that, you know, once your nervous system has these patterns, then, you know, you can take that into the attachment world, right? It, you create an attachment style out of that. But at the foundation, it's your nervous system creating these habitual response patterns that um, either allow you to feel safe with others and look for connection or shut that down. Um, and so what we know is that the nervous system is, is tuned by experience, right? Um, and so the hopeful news is because of that, we know it can be retuned by experience as well. But the, um, you know, the, the research on the early childhood um, um, longing and missing connection is, is um, pretty, pretty profound, you know, it's, it, um, there are these windows of time that we really need to have um, connection with others for our brains and bodies to develop, yeah. So, yeah. so what happened to those orphans without that tuning from, the, from that other nervous system? Well, you know, you, and we see this in our, in our clients now, maybe not so um, intensely, but trauma survivors who come from families where connection was either non-existent because there was neglect or a caregiver who able to be present for a number of reasons, substance, mental illness, their own trauma history, or um, live in situations where connection is actually dangerous. The person is dangerous, their caregiver. Um, we see that in, in these clients, too. You know, I work with adults, so when those adult clients come to me, their systems, you know, although they probably have found a way to, you know, navigate the world um, um, in ways that um, help them at least um, sustain the basics of a life, um, they, their systems are tuned to um, look for danger and can't take in safety. And what we need, our systems are very attuned to cues of danger, but we also have to um, look for cues of safety. And so helping these clients reshape their systems so that they can actually look for cues of safety, and then take them in is, is the work of, of um, 
recovery and healing. You know, the the research on loneliness is is pretty astounding, and that it's not um, actual concrete loneliness. It's a person's perception of loneliness that you know, is what matters. So, you know, I could be surrounded by lots of people, but if my perception is I'm alone, my nervous system and my biology responds to that in in um, difficult ways. So, you know, it's it's and we live in a society where so many people are lonely. Yeah. 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 You know, we have we talk. There's a difference between social support and social connection, right? <laughs> we can have lots of social support, but not feel social connection. And and your nervous system is looking for connection. You know, your your other parts you might be looking for support, but your nervous system needs that connection, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I see this. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is. Uh, Without that felt sense of safety, mm-hmm. that's when we see all these trauma symptoms, right? People who are chronically um, mm-hmm. in, in, in and out of hospitals for mental health issues, yeah. people who are numbing via drugs, people mm-hmm. who, um, you know, kids who are throwing tantrums, mm-hmm. like, like that's what we're right. seeing. Right. So what you're seeing are dysregulated nervous systems, yeah. right? And, and the thing we want to remember that when we work with people and even in our own lives, all behaviors are in service of survival, right? So as crazy as the behavior looks, your nervous system is attempting to help you survive, right? So drugging, drinking, um, food issues, any kind of addictions, kids tantruming, these are all nervous systems that are trying to come into regulation and can't quite get there, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I love how you said that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that yeah, I think that's so good, and I think that for me that shift was so powerful. You know, mm-hmm. I work with so many um, really good um, people mm-hmm. in throughout my career, mm-hmm. and but one of the things that's bugged me about mm-hmm. a small part of what they say is they say people are illogical. People do these things that don't make sense. You know, mm. Why does this kid do X when we told them to do Y? <laughs> right. And when they, and I think that they don't understand that right. the logic of our behaviors is survival. Right. right? It's all and about it's, survival. And yeah. it's immediate yeah. survival. It's not long term. Yeah. What's right. going to give me this no. grade? It's how am I going to get attention now? How am I going to get food now? Right. How am I going to get whatever now? Right. Right. Because, you know, which might take us into think, talking about the hierarchy, which is this first uh, important thing to understand about polyvagal is that when we're in, um, we, we have three states. Our autonomic nervous system has three states. What we're saying is when we're in what we call a ventral vagal state, when the ventral vagal part of our parasympathetic nervous system is online and in charge, then we can look ahead. We can consider, oh, I study now to get the grade or, you know, I want to be in connection and I can be planful and organized and, and reach out and offer support. But when there's a challenge that my nervous system can't meet, then the next place I go is to the sympathetic fight-flight mobilization space. And once I leave ventral and go to sympathetic, I don't care about relationship any longer. It truly is about survival in this moment. And so I sacrifice social engagement for survival. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then the third um, state, and this is what you know Steve really discovered when he um, developed polyvagal theory, the third state is this other aspect of parasympathetic, which is called dorsal vagal. And that's that state of collapse, of shutdown, of um, your body systems, everything slows, and in our clients, we we feel it as despair or hopelessness or lack of purpose, even dissociation. So it's that it's that shutdown. And again, your nervous system has taken you to that place so that you can survive whatever is happening that feels unsurvivable, as if you can't escape. And if you can't escape, your body takes you into collapse, shutdown, for survival. Right, so again, that makes sense. And if you think about kids, the the kid who's sympathetically activated and acting out gets attention. Right, may not be the right kind of attention. It may have those questions of why are they doing that, 
well, because they're biologically unable to do something else, right? But it's the kid who sometimes is invisible and under the radar that, you know, I always worry when a teacher says, oh, yeah, you know, that kid, never have a problem with him, always quiet, always doing his work, because my antenna is saying, is he really present or is he in a dorsal vagal state of, of collapse that is easier um, to manage because the system's not asking for anything, yeah. right? It's shut yeah. down, it's quiet. So, you know, and dorsal vagal collapse is the most terrifying place for a human body to be. Yeah, you're bringing up some mountain stuff. One of the I did in in home therapy for about a year. My my my, mm-hmm. my very first kid was in. So the way that I think about it is, you have mm-hmm. play, mm-hmm. then you have fight or flight, and then you have mm-hmm. freeze. And that's mm-hmm. those are the those are the that's the hierarchy. It's a simplified version. Yeah. So yeah. so instead of play, let's just call it social connection. Social connection. Yeah. And then we have fight flight, and then you could say freeze, or it might be easier for people to to think about as as collapse or yeah 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 Um, yeah. and this 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 kid that i had you know he was Mm -hmm. quiet Mm -hmm. he would just go outside and just dig in the dirt for hours Mm -hmm. the parents Mm -hmm. oh he's not a problem right and then every once in a while he would Mm -hmm. go into fight he would you know and and then they would be like i don't understand this kid and i was just like and i got frustrated and i didn't really know what was going on and Mm -hmm. looking back i mean that's that's probably right. one of the moments I regret the most because I'm like, that kid really needed help and I had no idea how to help him. Right, right. So if we look back at that kid now and we track his nervous system through this hierarchy, you know, and, and in my work with clients, I created the ladder, I put it on the ladder so that it's, you know, safe and social, fight, flight, collapse at the bottom. You know, if he's in collapse. Safe and social, yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So if he's in collapse at the bottom of the ladder, and every now and then his nervous system, because we're always trying to get to the top, and every now and then his nervous system gives a, a sympathetic surge to get me out of this place that feels so despairing and hopeless, and then that's that acting out fight-flight that happens. Yeah. And if there's nobody there to, to hold him and say, oh, yes, let's keep going up to the top of the ladder, back to engagement, he goes back to collapse. And that's that feedback loop that we see so often in kids and in our adult clients they're immobilized and then they have a sympathetic surge and then they go back to immobilization and so it's that that loop that happens yeah yeah, yeah. that's so true right. that, that, that the bounce between collapse and fight mm-hmm. collapse and fight collapse and fight mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and you know in the in the clinical world you can you know you can see people get diagnosed right you just <laughs> borderline, you know, features, right? Because you're, yeah. you know, you're, yes, 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 no, yes, 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 no. And really it's a nervous system that just, it's because our nervous systems are longing to get to ventral vagal, to safe and social. They're just longing to get there. And so they keep trying and without some help to continue through sympathetic back to safe and social, if that feedback loop happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. hierarchy. That's hierarchy. So then the second organizing principle is neuroception. And neuroception. I'm so glad we're talking about this now. Okay. So neuroception is the term that Steve um, created because there was no um, word that described this experience of the nervous system. Perception involves the thinking parts of our brain, and the the nervous system is subcortical, right? So it's, it's from the brainstem down so he had to come up with a word so neuroception is the word that he he coined which is a great word and neuroception um, i like to think about it is the nervous system is looking inside so is feeling what's happening inside her body outside it's taking in the environment and between so it's taking in between two nervous systems so you just think inside outside between and those are the three places that your nervous system is always getting cues of safety and danger. So neuroception is happening, and we feel the outcome of neuroception, right? So we feel what happens. We don't happens. perceive it. We just feel the outcome of it. It's its, right. its own thing. Right. And then in order to be able to do something with it, we bring perception to that neuroception so that we can then 
become aware of it and bring curiosity to it because otherwise neuroception is always running in the background so at the moment for for the three of us it is just every every single micro moment is taking in information but it's when there's a shift that happens and we bring attention to it that we can think oh okay i wonder what the cue of danger was that that prompted that or the cue of safety was that prompted that so to go back to our our clients this is where you know a big part of the work is what are the cues of danger and what are the cues of safety right because the nervous system you're right has to come into a sense of safety in order to be able to be organized and in order for change to happen you know in the therapy world therapy can't happen until there is enough safety in the system for the system to open to the possibility of change so therapy can't happen until there's enough safety right because you know therapy through a polyvagal perspective then the the therapy that's going to happen is for me to help you move back into enough ventral vagal so that your system can regulate enough so that we can come out of a pattern of protection and do some work right because if you're doesn't that imply that the that the bulk of therapy is emotional regulation autonomic regulation which then because you know if we think about it the other thing i wanted to say is your autonomic state because 80 percent of the information of the vagus nerve so of your parasympathetic nervous system 80 percent is coming from your body to the brain and 20 percent is coming back from your brain to your body so your autonomic state creates your psychological story Okay, so if you're in a sympathetic fight-flight, your story is going to be one of survival and protection in a certain way. From dorsal vagal, the very same experience, the story is going to be a different story. And then from ventral, the very same experience, the story, there becomes possibilities for the story to change. So, you know, in, in my way of doing therapy now through a polyvagal-guided approach, it really is about helping to bring flexibility back to the nervous system so that we can um, move through these states, not get stuck because trauma survivors are stuck in a dysregulated state and they can't get out of it to come back to regulation. So the beginning work is helping the system become flexible again, right? And then Mm -hmm. when they they are able to, you know, ascend the ladder back to safe Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. social... That's, mm-hmm. when it, that's when the possibilities in their trauma history open up to something else. Right, right, right. Otherwise, they're just, they're just locked. They're locked. They're locked in a story, right? And the story recreates itself over and over. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's neuroception, and neuroception is powerful, you know, really powerful. And it's, you know, my nervous system is, even though we're, we're on, you know, we're, we're not in the same room, but when we get signals from each other, my nervous system is taking in signals from your voice and you know your head movements and and your face and your smile right that's how that's how our nervous systems communicate right so we can communicate across distance without ever having met each other i you know we we had some time before we started and sort of created a um you know a, a an autonomic connection there we had some attunement that happened first so that we can feel comfortable with each other you know this is what um nervous systems want Right, want to be, long to be, are wired to be in connection with other nervous systems. Yeah, and trauma, um, you know, um, impacts that ability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Have you Have you ever met someone who you felt like was just a natural at that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At connection. Yeah. 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 Like you just talk yeah. to them, you're just like, oh my gosh, why am I crying right now? <laughs> you know, it's. And it's interesting because what, what, you're, what you're speaking for is your nervous system feels totally safe and connected to their nervous system and they're able to extend this ventral vagal um, energy, this, this, this surround you in ventral vagal so that you're welcomed in to, you know, talk or have experiences or reflect or whatever. That's the mark of a, of, for me, that's the mark of a wonderful therapist, right? Yeah. Like um, create that safety and presence right away yeah oh man yeah 
Yeah. You know, for trauma, for trauma survivors, you know, as a trauma specialist, I think that that is a key skill for therapists is to is to send that autonomic message in the first moments of mating, right? Mm. Because a trauma survivor's nervous system is is on guard and and exquisitely tuned to look for cues of danger, you know. And you know, so when met with an open, welcoming, regulated system, which is our job to be regulated and regulating for others. You know, the nervous system can then feel welcomed in and, and um, you have a chance then to create, you know, a relationship and do some other work. So, and if you're having a... How do you train that? Well, you know, this is my, um, um, I guess my bias is that you know, we, we learn polyvagal theory from the inside out, I like to say. <laughs> you, know, you really have to get to know your own nervous system and be able to track where you are on the hierarchy and bring perception to your neuroception in each moment um, and then um, use that because it is your responsibility as a therapist to be regulated. Um, but I think it's our responsibility as humans to understand our systems and to be able to regulate them um, and help others regulate. You know, I was teaching a week ago and I said we can change the world one nervous system at a time, which, you know, is, is you know, really what I believe. Yeah. You know, when, when I'm regulated and can bring that, offer that to another person, their nervous system feels it and they begin to regulate, right? So, you know, which is the third organizing principle if we just name it here co-regulation mm, yeah. that's so what neuroception mm-hmm. co-regulation yeah 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 so yeah and it's a big it's a, that's a big responsibility to to be responsible to be regulated and offer regulating energy to another that is the responsibility we take on as as therapists i think that's the responsibility we take on as parents right that's our that's our our job to to offer that to our children. You know, if teachers take it on. I mean, really, everywhere in the world, where you're connecting with another, and there's a there's someone is is offering a service to another. It's their job to be regulated and regulating. And in order to do that, you have to understand how your nervous system works. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a mystery. I think that that is a, just a perfect picture because as soon as you said that I thought of all the service people I've worked with mm-hmm. who just drove me up the wall mm-hmm. and, and it's and it's because of that right like when we talk about good customer service right. Right. we're talking about that safe and social and when right. and when they aren't mm-hmm. even if they give us what they told us they were going to give us Mm-hmm. We are still like that. That's that's not it. I don't like them. I'm I'm not going to tip. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is, right? Right. Right. But that waiter, that lady at the office, that you know, coach, mm-hmm. who was tuned in mm-hmm. to you, mm-hmm. despite mm-hmm. however you were performing or how much you paid or you forgot to tip mm-hmm. or whatever. When mm-hmm. those are the people who we remember and we say, oh yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. That, that coach yeah. changed my life. That right. teacher spoke right. to me. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, so if we look at it through your biology, that that person was able to, you know, offer your nervous system um, a sense of safety and um, and connection. Right. And no matter what, if you were dysregulated, there was that ongoing, predictable sense of safety coming at you and which helped you regulate back again. Right. Yeah. So that it shaped it really does shape your system. These ongoing experiences shape our system, which, again, is, you know, when you think about the experiences people have regularly in their lives, they're, they're being shaped and not always in the way that we think would be the, the positive right. shaping, right? right? You know, people who live in big cities where there's lots of noise and people don't connect and, you know, it's hustle and bustle. The nervous system is taking that on, Right. You know, in my part of the world, you know, rural Maine, where, where there are people who live in isolation, that's the opposite problem, right? You know, feeling the, the, the longing that can't be met by connection. So, you know, yeah. Something you said a second ago really struck me, and I wish I had written it down. And I think it was just that um, 
just just that image that like we are all oh this is what it was mm. it was that with what you are doing mm-hmm. when you can bring perception to neuroception right when you can bring mm-hmm. thought to how mm-hmm. we are tuning each other's bodies mm-hmm. to feel mm-hmm. safe or not feel safe right it sounds like that gives us a, a, an unprecedented level of control and direction over it now mm-hmm. is that i mean is that wrong? Yeah, I, no I, th- I think i think you're right it be you know i was thinking about my own situation and we are not always um in ventral we're not always in that safe and social place you know we, we all get dysregulated and you know th- there are times when um you know i try to bring a sense of humor to it but um, you know, I was standing in the kitchen the other day and, you know, life was just getting a little out of control and I knew it was and I could feel my system dysregulating. But in the moment, it's like, nope, I, I, I can see it happening and I can't find the resource. You know, so, so what I, you know, told myself was, okay, the ventral vagal train is leaving the station and I'm not on it. I'm not on it. Right. You know, and it happens to everybody. So what we, what I think we're talking about is noticing these ruptures and making a repair, right? Because these ruptures happen all the time, but if we come back and make the repair, you know, then, then I think we build relationship even more strongly. So the expectation is not to be perfect at this or always be regulated. The expectation is to notice when I'm fall out of regulation and come back and make the repair with whoever it was that I, had the rupture with right that's again the responsibility i think yeah yeah i feel like my students are going to ask so how does this relate to attachment theory Mm -hmm. i think i think they're going to say it sounds very similar so Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, steve had a beautiful quote in one of his um, interviews he said that he um, he considers the nervous system um, is the preamble to attachment so you know and Nowadays, I feel like a broken record. I keep telling people the nervous system is the foundation, the platform that sits under everything. So, you know, I work with a lot of clinicians who are trained in, you know, all of the alphabet soup that we get trained in. Right? <laughs> and, you know, I keep saying um, polyvagal is not in competition with any of those. It's a platform underneath them. And they just make you understand why, why those um, models work. And they help you shift a bit of those models to bring a little more of the um, uh, what the nervous system needs, right? So for attachment, you know, it, when met, um, you know, because secure attachment is about feeling safe, seen, and soothed, right? If we put it very simply, safe, seen, and soothed, which is an experience of two nervous systems being in regulation together, right? So it's, it's safe and to or you know, if I'm a little one and I just a system that can hold me and can help me regulate again, that creates secure attachment, right? You know, if we think about the, the insecure categories, whether it's you know anxious or um, ambivalent, if we take anxious, I, I you know I usually think of anxious um, as having a more mobilized flavor in the system. So for me, I might map it more to a sympathetic drivenness neediness to to have connection and then ambivalent more of the flavor of a dorsal disconnect right and then the disorganized category again i think would be this system that fluctuates between sympathetic dorsal sympathetic dorsal so that would be sort of my shorthand for how i would equate it to attachment right yeah it's more about the relationship and the bonds and the um polyvagal is describing what's happening in those interactions right and yes and you know if attachment is about the relationship polyvagal your state has these emergent properties that support certain kinds of connection so from sympathetic the emergent properties are those of survival and fight flight and mobilization and when i'm in a sympathetically charged state um if you have a a neutral face I perceive you as dangerous, right. right? So I, you know, if you're if you're a therapist or a parent or you know wanting to extend, you know, an invitation to others, your face has to be mobile, right. because a neutral face is like, oh my God, you're you're now a threat, 
You know, the, the, the question we're always asking ourselves when we're working with clients, and so we could ask the same parents, teachers, anybody, am I being perceived as a restorative resource or a threat? Right? Because the nervous system is either seeing me as safe and resourcing or I'm a threat. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. How do you yeah. talk to people about this? I feel like one of the things that I bump up against is people will say, mm-hmm. oh, but they're choosing to see me that way. And from, mm. from my understanding of this science, mm-hmm. part of what we're saying is when someone's body is mm-hmm. telling them mm-hmm. that they are under attack, that, 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 mm-hmm. that they either need to fight their way out, run away, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the options to their actual thinking process are very, right. very limited. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. <clears throat> right. Conveying so, that to another practitioner, I mean, how do you? It, well, you know, I, I usually, you know, will have practitioners do simple exercises um, so that they get the feeling in their body of, um, you know, oh, I, I might have wanted to connect in this way, but my nervous system totally would not allow that. You know, you're, you know, in couples work, you know, when you get the couples to understand that it's not that he wants to not show up for you. It's that his, he biologically is unavailable to show up for you because his biology has taken him to a different place in sympathetic. We cannot do this. Right. And in dorsal vagal, we absolutely can't do this because we are just so shut down. Right. So helping people understand that it, because the nervous system doesn't make meaning and doesn't assign motive. Our brains do that. Right. The nervous system is simply acting in response to neuroception to help you survive. But then we make meaning of it. Right. You, you, you know, you, 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 you didn't, you, you, you said I can't have this conversation right now and you left. So I make meaning you didn't, you don't want to be with me. You, you, you know, you, but really, if I can look at you as a dysregulated nervous system, huh, your nervous system said I can't do this right now, right? It's not your brain, it's your nervous system that said, no, this is, this is not possible right now. Not that I don't want to, it's not possible. So, you know, finding these lovely ways to help clinicians have personal experiences is, um, um, is what my workshops are all about. Because once, once you feel it in your own system, then you get it, right? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful way to kind of tap into that. And I think that that also feeds back onto, I think, a core, a core message is it's the felt sense that creates the change. So mm-hmm. if you can have the felt sense mm-hmm. of this is what it feels like, that's, mm-hmm. of course, going to eliminate for you what is going on for your clients. Right, right, yeah. right. And I really think, you know, one of the watchwords, I think, in therapy Um, becoming a good therapist is we never ask our clients to do something we haven't tried out right and so you know therapists really need to map their own systems and play around with this and have the experience of feeling met and not met of of tracking cues of danger and safety so that they really when they're sitting across from a client you know when I sit across from my clients and somebody goes to a dorsal state you know, I can truly say, wow, I, I get this. I absolutely know. And I, I tell them, I'm an expert dorsal vagal disconnector. That is my, <laughs> that's my, you know, we all have a, um, if you guys think about your own growing up, we all have, you know, what I call a neural profile, an autonomic profile, you know, and so my go-to, because of my family system growing up, my go-to was to become invisible under the radar. So that dorsal flavor, you know, um, and other people are much more sympathetically charged. Their place was to get big and act out. So if you think about your system and you think, you know, which which is my flavor? You know, when, when am I more sympathetic or dorsal? You know, and that's that's a good place to start. You know, but when my so my clients when they go to dorsal, I say, oh, I, I so know where you are because um, my system knows how to do that, and so my system also knows how to help you get out of that, right? And that's that, that sense. So once you know your own system, you can really bring that authentically and your confidence in telling your client, I get where you are and I also know that we can come out of it together 
you know, is is believable to their nervous system, right? Yeah. 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 So what is your work now? I mean, are you doing a lot more? I, I, I thought I heard that you were working with Steve on, like, developing a model or something, or? Oh, Steve, no, um, and, no, Steve would not be doing that. It's so fascinating. Steve is so clear. He developed a theory. <laughs> and, he, and he specifically did not develop a model because he is not a clinician. And he developed a theory, which I so love, because what he wants is other people to then take polyvagal theory and apply it in the ways that they find creative. So even when I teach, and, and my, I know my mission right now, I know it sounds crazy, but my mission is to help as many people in the world understand polyvagal so that they can you know, understand how they're moving through the world and impacting others. And when I go and teach and I share my, you know, my particular worksheets and ways of doing it and, and say, you know, it, it's free to use, go, use, create, do. Um, you know, I, I do have, it's funny, I, I, have, I have bullet points. I don't have steps, I have bullet points mm-hmm. that when I, because I do do demos. I, there, it's a beautiful way to polyvagal theory guided therapy approach is, is, is beautiful and is powerful in um, bringing change to people. Um, and it's very um, gentle because I don't have to know the story, the, the story story. We're just learning the story of the nervous system and helping the nervous system um, reshape in some way. So it's a lovely way to do trauma work. Um, and I have sort of these seven sort of bullet points that this sort of is where you're working when you do this. And people keep saying, but you got to create a model. I said, no, it's an approach, right? And, and here's sort of the broad outline because once you understand the theory, then you, you're, you're free, to, free to help the nervous system, right? And you'll find your own way to do it. So, you know, my, I guess to come back to your question, what I really want is to, and I'm getting invitations to go um, teach um, multi-day workshops places, and that's what I love doing because then when I leave, I know there are 22 or 40 or 60 more clinicians who are taking it back to their practices and they're going to talk to their colleagues, and it's it's rippling out into the world. So that's what... I'm doing Steve um, created the Traumatic Stress Research Consortium out of Indiana University, the Kinsey Institute, um, and I'm the coordinator of the consortium, and our um, mission is to um, gather a thousand um, clinicians worldwide to um, take part in clinician surveys because the first thing we want to know is who are the clinicians who work with trauma what what are what are our histories what are our um you know what are our training how, who are we to get that information and then from those thousand clinicians gather 10,000 clients to get um the client experience of um using certain scales that um, Steve and the team is creating around body perception and autonomic um, state and um, um, some of the more general trauma questionnaires to really get a, a huge data collection on um, trauma and how it impacts um, people's lives. So that's that's the the project that's going on at, at the moment. And you know, if if anybody is interested in joining. The consortium. You can just send an email to trauma at indiana.edu, and you get me on the other end, and I'll send you a link to um, register with the consortium. So, it's a pretty awesome project. Yeah, the the, the team is is also working on ways to um, capture autonomic state, like through your webcam and my webcam. So in in mm-hmm. real time, we could be understanding what our nervous systems are doing. Wow. Uh, they can do it in the lab right now. Um, they so can. In, 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 in still pictures, they've been able to do it in the lab. So, you know, it, it's in process. Huh. The, the other piece is, because you're recording this, is to take a, a piece of voice recording. And um, they're brilliant scientists at, at the consortium, i got to say. They've created algorithms so they can take that piece of voice recording and track the nervous system state through that piece of voice recording. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah. um, I need a second. Yeah, that, because that's like 
that's stupid crazy that is stupid people don't i don't think people listening to this know what that implies like that level of tech is wow wow i know that is i I love that you're having that response yes that's beautiful (laughs) yeah so you know down down the road and and you know it's probably a couple years out but you know, I think the, the the dream is to have it someday be an app that people just use, and you know, in therapy we could we could have it you know running while we're working and see what's happening, and it was all sorts of applications. So you know, see, this is oh, oh my gosh! So this is why this fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Well, there are twenty different reasons why this fa- fascinates me. <laughs> um, I love your passion. <laughs> let me. Can I tell you a little bit of my own story, like a, just a snippet? Yeah, please. So basically, I was trained. Um, in a brief brief systemic model, mm-hmm. right? So we're talking about you know the solution focus guys, a mm-hmm. lot of Milton Erickson stuff, mm-hmm. some strategic stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found was that they all of these models worked, but none of them worked consistently. Mm-hmm. And what I eventually came to was a deep realization that the difference between when they work and when they don't is the science of safety how safe and receptive the client mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. Um, determines right. how well these things work right and right. so one of the things that i'm hearing when you talk about this is we are very close to mm-hmm. having a way to monitor that which means the outcomes in psychotherapy sh- would just skyrocket because we will be able to 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 tell mm-hmm where the therapist mm-hmm. is, if the mm-hmm. therapist is making an impact with the client, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. how to train therapists, you know, mm-hmm. and they can get real-time feedback on, on where right. they are, right. um, which of course yeah. is just going to make, for, for, for people who want to engage in that, mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. that sort of concrete feedback would allow their practice and their ability to help people just right. skyrocket. Right. Yes, absolutely. And then once you get that concrete feedback, you understand better why some of the things you do work and, and don't work. So exactly. You know, and, even if and people, you get around the other problem of having, because sometimes my my clients are really nice people, mm-hmm. you know, so they want to save me half the time. Oh, so boy. even if something doesn't work, they 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 are just oh no no I that mm-hmm. you know and it's mm-hmm. like no that actually didn't work for you but you. Or, right, uh, you know, make me feel like I'm a failure. Right. But if you are able to look at some of this stuff in a more concrete way, I mean, yeah. And for you know, for your maybe for your clients, I know for for my clients, um, having that you know real time feedback that says yes, what you're experiencing inside is being measured out here and matches because for many trauma survivors, what they're told is what you're feeling inside what your nervous system is doing is not true, right? What you're feeling is really not what's happening in out, out here. You know, what you're seeing is not happening. So it, it skews neuroception. Neuroception gets, gets, you know, calibrated wrong. And so if you could see it, you say, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're feeling a cue of danger from me, and your nervous system is absolutely, right? right? And then we can figure out what was that cue of danger, right? You know? Something I said, the way I looked, something, the way I moved, a sound yeah. in the room, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is that is so true as well. It's, I mean, we have a. I learned this word from my sister not too long ago called gaslighting. Oh yeah. And uh, that's what you're talking yeah. about. We're we're able yeah. to to undo the gaslighting that we unintentionally right. do to trauma survivors. Right. 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 We yeah. Tell them that yes, what you're seeing and been feeling, perceiving. Mm-hmm. Is actually like your mm-hmm. body picking up with something. Let's figure exactly. out what 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 that was. Right, and let's figure out. You know, the discernment piece is let's figure out. Okay, so your body, there's a neuroception of danger that happened, and your body responded. If we bring perception to that, you know, is it necessary in this moment, in this place, between you and me, or is it happening out of a familiar pattern from your past? Right. Right. And that's where we begin to do that discerning piece, right? Because the nervous system learned that this particular thing was a cue of danger. And now it can begin to, to, you can begin to say, okay, but maybe in this moment, it doesn't need 
to activate in the same way, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. I had a yeah. friend who um, I would raise my eyebrow. Yeah, there you go. There <laughs> you go. Just send her off. Yeah, sure. She would lose her mind. Right. And you know, yeah. and it's, it was one of those things that for the longest time, she did not know what it was. Right. Exactly. She would just have this, have this reaction. intense yeah. response, which makes no sense. And that's the other thing about really tracking the nervous system. It begins to make sense which is so helpful for we humans. We don't feel crazy. It's like, I have no idea why that's happening. Now I know why it's happening. And once you know why something's happening, then you have a chance at reshaping it. Right? But until you, you can track it, you don't have a prayer of, of reshaping it. Yeah. yeah. Now, is there a way to do... Like, I don't know how to say this, but are there opposite things that happen? Like, do we have um, intense feelings of safety from other cues mm-hmm. absolutely 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 yeah if you you know and i'm you might think of something in your life that feels like a, a cue of safety for, for me um i have an environmental cue of safety for me i know i am can predictably come into a sense of um real well-being um when i go to the beach and I live like three minutes from the ocean. So for me, the ocean is a part of my um, experience of well-being. You know, so that's been wired in over the course of my lifetime. And actually, when I go traveling and I'm away too long from a place where there's no, no ocean, my system feels it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, oh, take me home to where there's ocean. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we we get these other wired in, you know, cues of safety and 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 connection. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and actually, we're trying to to find those. And and I call those when um, in the beginning when we're working, the triggers are the things that take us to sympathetic or dorsal. And then because it's so important to also recognize those micro moments of of ventral of 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 safety, I call those glimmers. So we, we map the triggers, but we also map the glimmers because those micro moments, if we can keep connecting with those micro moments, begin to add up and shape our system. Yeah. 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 Wow. Are, mm. there, are there any innate cues of safety? Um, the, the sound of a voice, the pro, a prosodic voice, usually um, within the range of a female um like um, a female voice that's that's um, warm and and um, has um, this lilting quality to it is built in. So we have, you know, I, I call them um, factory installed settings, right? <laughs> you know, so so that that is that is one. Um, whereas um, a high pitched um, squeal is is a factory installed setting of a cue of danger. We we all look to where's the danger, and then the low rumbles that we feel um, activate our, our sense of predator so it's that life threat so there there are things that the nervous system just responds to because it's wired that way yeah, yeah. can you if you could think of someone on on TV who you think mm. that person has the safe and social voice mm. Like, mm. Who, who would you say hmm trying to think of that you know I was there. I don't want to get into the political world. However, <laughs> um, I was, um, you know, because of the, you know, we're we're having this um, conversation just after um, John McCain died, and mm-hmm. so there've been a lot of people talking on TV about, you know, how wonderful he is. And for me, Barack Obama was that um, uh, that sense of being in the presence of someone trustworthy and safe and. Um, you could just, I could just sink into feeling, oh, everything is going to be okay. Yeah. So there's some, it's, it's, you know, his voice, his, his mannerisms, his, you know, that my nervous system just responded to was saying, oh, there, okay. You know, and, and I recognized when I was listening today, my nervous system does not feel that anymore. Right? <laughs> and I think many nervous systems. What changed? Something's yeah, so different. Yeah. <laughs> And I think many <laughs> nervous systems in in our country right now are being bombarded by cues of danger. 
right? Oh, well, that's, yes, that's, that's so, true. So, you know, if you think about it on a nervous system level, we have a collective nervous system that is feeling on edge and dysregulated. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, um, it's funny you say this. I, I, I watched this show called Reverie. Mm. And um, there's this guy on the show. He's, I don't know, maybe in his early 60s, mm-hmm. older black dude. Mm-hmm. And he has this, like, deep, deep voice. Ah. Um, what was that like for you? And for for me, you were talking about the, you know, how that deep rumble is a, is threat. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, I definitely think that that guy's master of his domain like it's he's a he's a he's a very dominant person easily mm, mm. But there's also the quality where it feels like and and they played this up on the show where he's like mm. the dad you know that the dad tough love dad mm-hmm. you know so everyone else knows don't mess with him don't but like he him. loves you yeah. and he's always gonna fight for you mm. and so that mm. was the mm-hmm. anyway so i was thinking yeah. about that but i was yeah. you know as you were yeah. talking about the other thing i was thinking of um um, there's a character on Doctor Who who has mm. that little she's a female character and I think most of these people are mm-hmm. who has that lilting yep. almost yep. like a her song's like music yeah, yeah. which is yeah. similar to what Doctor King had I think when yeah. I mean his yes. voice was so yes. melodic yes I think in that way it really was yeah. um, mesmerizing yeah. right yeah. And that that's what the nervous system is, is looking for that melodic prosodic voice yeah yep yeah, we just feel safe around that. Absolutely. You know who is that now? I was listening to mm. a podcast today. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm. That's why he makes science interesting. There you go. As he's talking, it's so musical. And you go, yeah, okay, mm. yeah. <laughs> Protons and photons and whatever. You're just like, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a, a a wonderful thing to understand how the autonomic nervous system works, and then be able to um, shape it and tone it, and you know, then help help others. You know, Steve, I I, I loved his um, word benevolence. You know, um, you know, I think benevolence is the active, ongoing use of ventral vagal energy in service of healing. And so I think that's what we aspire to, right? Is to using our ventral vagal energy in service of healing. Yeah. 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 I think what you're saying is so... I, I had a, a watershed moment the other day. I was reading this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and the author, he's a famous tennis coach. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how one of the biggest things he's a coach had to overcome was how resistant his players were. And I, and he would talk about how they would get defensive when he wasn't trying to be, you know, attacking. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had this moment where I realized, unfortunately, ninety-nine percent of people walk around. Ninety-nine percent of people walk around, mm-hmm. um, really afraid, always kind of fending out, fending, fending off threats. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're talking about is so powerful because. To give someone that gift of social mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. is like giving mm-hmm. a thirsty man water. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's just not enough. Right, right. You know, I liked what you said about resistant because you know we therapists, you know, in the past would would think about resistant clients, right? You know, well, a resistant client is simply a client whose nervous system I have not sent enough cues of safety to, right? You know, their their system is just doing what it needs to do to, you know, because it's in a state of danger. So it's my job to to find out what are the cues of safety that system needs and send them, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, mm-hmm. I want to be respectful of your time. I know that it's very late <laughs> where you are. Um, I have two more closing questions for you, and then I'll let you get off the. Sure. Off the yeah, sure. I'm having fun. Um, my first question for you is. What do you think is on the frontier, right? I mean, obviously you're on the frontier, but if you were to push it out a little further, what do you think this is going to be a place people need to be looking? Mm. Hmm. That's a tough one to answer. Um, hmm. 
I don't know. I really, um, I, I, you know, I keep coming back to, um, I really do think there is incredible power in helping people um, be able to track their own nervous system. So I guess the frontier for me might be, you know, all sorts of these ways of really um, attuning to your own nervous system so that you can make an informed decision about um, what you do next, right? Rather than being hijacked by your system, you can befriend it and and work with it, right? Mm. So maybe that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Is that closely related to a lot of the mindfulness stuff that people are... Yeah, um, yeah, interesting. I think mindfulness um, can um, interrupt um, impulse to action, right? When we're mindful, we just don't go from impulse to action. There's a ability for flexibility of, of thought. And I guess where, where I want to go is, is bringing flexibility back to the underlying um, nervous system so that um, people don't get pulled into these um, dysregulated states and get get stuck there you know because that is a painful place to be a, a dysregulated nervous system is is a system that's not resilient right and is a system that brings a daily experience of suffering you know a, a rigid system brings daily suffering to people which again because we understand polyvagal theory and we have ways um, to impact the nervous system and shape the nervous system it seems like it's a um, it's an experience that doesn't have to happen right we have ways to help people understand and shape their system and it feels like that's that's important yeah yeah, yeah. Do you do any sort of, um, we touched on this before, mm. but I don't think, I don't, I don't think we got very deep into it. Do, do you, do you do any sort of, um, work with tools? Like I know Steve has, this, has a, the safe and sound protocol. Some people do neuromodulation, other people do ne mm -hmm. neurofeedback. Do you do feedback, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I, I have the safe and sound protocol, um, the the listening safe and sound listening um, equipment. Um, my husband Bob had a stroke three and a half years ago, and so um, we're doing all sorts of um, interesting rehab experiments. One one of them being does the safe and sound listening protocol help um, his face become more alive and his social engagement system be more predictably present? And it seems to have some benefit um for that um you know i'm again and when i wrote the book i really was thinking about my colleagues who are sitting in an office you know and how do we bring um our skills to helping um, regulate a nervous system and then reshape a nervous system simply in this um, co-regulation and, and through the cranial nerves of our social engagement system. So um, even though I'm so curious about all of the inventions and creations that are coming down the road, I'm pretty passionate about helping people be able to, to just track this way. Yeah. 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 Last yeah. question. What are you reading now? What's on your, your night stand? What's in the bathroom? What's oh, in the back of your car? I have um, Irvin Yellum's memoir is at the <laughs> top, top of my list right now. I saw him speak at um, a conference last year, and it was the first time I'd ever seen him in person. And I was my heart was just filled by You his weren't at presence. the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference, were you? I was not, Good. no. I would have been no. mad if you were there and I didn't get to meet you. No. Yeah. I'm so mad. No, but I hope we get to go to a that conference and meet each other. Yeah. Not to mention we would have been in the same crowd just crying at the same speech. Because Urban Yalom had me <laughs> had me going. That dude's a He's baller. Talk about, talk about someone who makes you feel safe. Oh, my Absolute. gosh. And who, for me, who, who you know, broke all the rules in service of connection 
with his with his he'd call them patients, but with his clients, right? You know, he he would he would be real with them and and connect with them. It was like, oh, so I had to buy his memoir. So that's at the top of my list. Although um, you'll laugh because most of what I do is is read research articles because <laughs> I do love reading research articles, and I'm uh, I'm in the process of of uh, writing a, a workbook to go with the first book. So I'm researching more stuff. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. What what, uh, what what research articles? Oh, let's see. Um, what was I reading <sighs> yesterday? Somebody asked me, que- people ask me questions all the time, and it's like, oh, I don't know, but I'll see if I can find a research article on that. And um, the one yesterday was about, what the, people were talking about music, and there was this research study, I'll just tell you this, that um, used three different um, music um, pieces, a classical a hard rock, and then um, the the piece of music was Enya's Only Time, right? And and they tracked the response of the nervous system. And Enya's Only Time brought the most um, the most increase of ventral vagal energy, even if the person said, I don't like it. Is that not fascinating? That's awesome. That was fascinating. Yeah. The, the other one became a friend who who sent this at um, the Canadian um, milk producing whatever it had a contest. They asked um, people to compose songs that would um, help cows um, give more milk. You know, so you know we're translating just the nervous system. They're helping cows feel safer so that they produce more milk. What? And so. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I was huh. playing that song to my training group over the weekend. Yeah. I said, this, this, this song helps cows get more milk. So, yeah, you know, my, my um, and I, I don't know if you're like research or not, but, you know, you start in one place with a question. And then an hour later, you're down the rabbit hole somewhere and you think, wow, I have no idea how I got here. But it's been a fascinating a ride, fascinating right? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of my research right now is the reading I have to do for the, my, my classes. So now I don't have a lot of um, uh-huh. outside. Because you know, well, I have on the a, course, I have to make sure that I'm up on. Right, right. Well, I have a brain stuffed with random facts from all this research I read. So people will say, they say, huh, there's an interesting research study on fill in the blank. And they yeah. kind of look at me and say, I know, just I love reading research. So there you go. Yeah. Well, look, where yeah. can people um, contact mm. you, find you? Um, on my website, it's probably the easiest way. Um, I actually have two, but I'll give you rhythmofregulation.com, all one word, rhythmofregulation.com, and you can find um, there's a um, contact request um, form they can submit and send me emails, ask me questions. Okay. I love it. I get up in the morning and see, ooh, who sent me a, an email overnight? It's such fun. Awesome. I had a, I'll just leave you with this last thing. I had an um, email the other day from a therapist in india it was so sweet i had my book i have no idea how he got my book but he had my book and he was going off to a little village in india where he was going to work with a group of um, people who were um, being treated for cancer and he was going to have them use my first map and map their nervous systems to get to another nervous system and it was like oh that was just amazing right you know very sweet so yeah Mm, yeah Well, thank you so much for your time and for thank you, all the stuff behind the scenes. And I know we I had some fun. It so much. <laughs> I have enjoyed it too. And I hope we do get to meet soon at, at a conference. Yeah, I hope so. We got to get to a conference somewhere together. You have to tell me where you're going, and I'll tell you where I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Great. Good, good. It's been lovely to meet both of you. All right. Bye. Bye bye.